very special episode of One Perfect Game, the show about video games and the people who play them. My name is Matt Tilby. I am your host for this wonderful adventure. And my guest for today's episode is one of the newest signings for Impact Wrestling. He is a Canadian professional wrestler who has competed for the likes of Progress Wrestling, Rev Pro, and is the current IWS Montreal heavyweight champion. He also streams on Twitch, where he hosts the wonderfully frenetic Friday Night Speedball, an interactive wrestling show. I am delighted to be speaking to the one and only Speedball, Mike Bailey. Mike, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. It is. Uh, it's been a while in the making. This uh, episode, we've been trying to to track you down for for quite some time. You've been a, uh, I guess, a busy boy. It must be said. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for for jumping on board. How was your Christmas? We we're uh, of course recording this pretty much uh, on Boxing Day uh, for for all of you listening at home. But uh, yeah, how was your your festive period? Well, uh, so there was more or less of a festive period as we are. They don't call it a lockdown here, but we're basically back to lockdown. They limited uh, holidays to maximum 10 people per household. Ooh. and uh, But, you know, mostly COVID numbers are way up. So it's been a very chill holiday. I decided to spend all of Christmas, or most of Christmas, or five hours of it at least, uh, on the stream playing Pokemon Emerald. So that was a lot oh, of fun. Yes. I'm going to do more of that today. So that's basically I've, I'm spending my holidays on the internet playing Pokemon. <laughs> that's certainly a good way to be, but of course, uh, I guess there's really only one place to start. Of course, congratulations for signing for Impact Wrestling. The outpouring of support that I saw and and really the well wishes across the internet has been great to see. Really, you must be absolutely stoked. Yeah, that was uh, that was overwhelmingly positive, which honestly surprised me. Uh, <laughs> If you know wrestling fans, you know how much they go back and forth and how like so that right there's a pecking order to how garbage comments are and it goes something like <laughs> Twitch chat is always the best and then Twitter's usually pretty cool, then Facebook's kind of a mess and then you go to YouTube comments yeah. and then you go to Reddit and hear all the garbage that people have to say. Um, however, when it came to me signing with Impact, it was overwhelmingly positive, even on places like Reddit or the uh, the YouTube comments to the to the video that Impact posted. So that's very nice. It's nice to see that some things can still be, you know, mostly positive. <laughs> I mean, uh, the video, as you mentioned, uh, of, of yourself signing your contract in the ring alongside uh, Scott Demore and, and Josh Alexander was such a a wholesome sight, I thought. But uh, how much notice were you given that you were signing with Impact or, or how long did you have to keep that a secret? Um, yeah, I signed the contract literally after the match on Josh Alexander's back. Um, <laughs> the, 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 so Josh Alexander was originally supposed to face uh, Luke Gallows, I believe, who ran into some border issues because of COVID. So the match had to be scrapped. So they decided to rebook it to me versus josh alexander and announced that if i won the match i would get an impact contract i did not win the match but then josh got on the mic and said that i deserved it and then scott came out and said sure you do deserve it and uh, <laughs> i signed my contract right there on josh alexander's sweaty back so you know <laughs> wrestling is wrestling and the outcome is predetermined but it was a really nice moment and a really nice surprise for everyone so I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, if you want more more details, as like as close of a perspective on how all that went, I made a vlog about it uh, that's on my YouTube that you can and should watch that features highlights of the match as well. But it's a uh, pretty close uh, visiting of the events that led up to that. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a good watch. I think, and uh, I mean, even over the the past year, you've accomplished quite a bit. Of obviously, you went to the UK twice and and won uh, the British J Cup, as well as obviously claiming uh, the IWS Heavyweight Championship for the second time. What really stands out for you as as some of the particular highlights? Obviously, Impact is a big one, but apart from that, what's been big for you? So it's funny that you would say that because all things considered. 2021 has probably been my most eventless year uh, due to the <laughs> fact that I spent, you know, more than half of it just locked down and not wrestling. However, even in that period, 
I like I that's when I really started focusing on on Twitch and content creation as well as professional wrestling. Um, and all that leading up to honestly, you uh, you alluded to it in my intro, but in in July I had the first uh, Friday Night Speedball, which started on Friday. Which by the way, I didn't name it. So the issue is it's called Friday Night Speedball, but it's mostly not on Fridays. <laughs> but the idea was uh, wrestling. The world was starting to open up again. And I wanted my first match to be, you know, broadcast live to Twitch. And mm. um, I decided to to do a thing with uh, students from the IWS who had been who had been training all through the pandemic, uh, whether it was you know physically training when we were allowed to, or training at physically at the school but with social distancing when we were not allowed to have contact and doing Zoom pro wrestling classes for a long time as well. Um, I really wanted to do to do a thing when wrestling came back with with them for, you know, to thank them for all their hard work as soon as that was possible. So we broadcast mm. the match and that was just the first one, the first Friday Night Speedball uh, was the most fun I'd ever had in professional wrestling at that point. Um, so the, yeah, that, that really stands out as a big highlight um, if not, the match I had with Michael Oku at York Hall in front of many people. York Hall is a big venue in London, and it was the cruiserweight title match that I had earned after winning the British Jacob, which felt, which was like the biggest match, or at least the match that would be seen by the most people that I'd had in a very, very long time. Um, given that I wasn't really able to travel for a long time and the world was pretty much shut down. So that mm. felt like a big one. Other than that, of course, the match with Josh Alexander that, that led up to my signing with Impact is probably on top of the list. But other than that, like there's many great matches I had that stand out. When I won the C4 title from Daniel Garcia, that was a big one. And then my matches with both uh, Big Ben Ortman's whom I had, who was a, you know, another professional wrestler from Canada who owns Crossbody Pro Wrestling and has been Twitch streaming and we'd done a lot of stuff together during the pandemic. And we talked about wrestling a lot, you know, both live and uh, in private and about his wrestling and everything. And then getting to main event, the MTELUS Theater for the IWS against him was a big deal uh, because, you know, that match had been building up in our heads mostly since January. <laughs> and also, um, lastly, sorry, this is a long, long soundbite for me. No, it's good. <laughs> but my match with Alex Silva from uh, IWS, which meant a ton to me uh, because, again, I've known Alex for... He started wrestling when he was 13. Uh, I probably met him when like he was 14 and I was 15 and we started wrestling together. And then, you know, uh, long story short, he uh, sort of left the wrestling scene for a long time and went through some stuff and then came back and now is doing fantastic and is absolutely killing it. And we got to have mm. that match. Uh, sorry to keep plugging my YouTube channel, but the full story <laughs> is on there. I have a, an IDBS vlog with highlights from the match as well as a video where I recap the whole, you know, his whole story basically and what led up to the match. So, uh, yeah. yeah. A lot of meaningful moments in a short year. I mean, it, it is interesting that you mentioned both the YouTube and the Twitch. I think they're, they're probably the, the biggest sort of things that a lot of wrestlers have been sort of doing this year. And, and really the Twitch channel uh, for yourself is actually where I found out about you and, and your work. How are you finding that sort of challenge of, I guess, combining wrestling with, with being a, a content creator now? Um, I started mostly... So the reason I started Twitch initially was just to get my partner Veda Scott to do it Cause I, okay. <laughs> because I knew that they would be, of course, they have, what are they, uh, 75,000 followers on Twitter or something and 60 on Instagram, but they're a lot more popular online than I am. So I, I was just trying to get them to do it because I knew they'd have a, you know, a, a, an easier time getting started, but I really uh, ended up enjoying it and taking through the whole thing. Um, a very, very wise man who is now doing great things on television for pro wrestling told me maybe a year and a half ago at this point, probably two years ago, uh, 
uh, it's no longer the wrestling business. It's the content creation business. Your content just happens to be wrestling. Mm. Which is, if you look at the way things are going in the pro wrestling world right now, like the way uh, AEW basically happens on television, but everything is built up through the wrestlers' vlogs on YouTube and yes. being the elite and Sammy Guevara's vlog that's gotten many people contracts and changed the careers and built up storylines. Uh, and the way they extend through YouTube, just basically content creation, as well as AW Games on Twitch that connects to both the Chugs, uh, Adam Cole's Twitch, and Evil Uno's. Um, and even even WWE, who is like, even though they're at the forefront of the professional wrestling world, they're still very old school in how they do things. They're absolutely spreading out to content creation and put out more and more YouTube and Twitch and content on other platforms. So that's really the way wrestling is evolving. And I I want to be the most successful wrestler possible. So, of course, I had to take it in that direction. But it's been great, to be honest. Uh, it makes everything a lot more rewarding to have such a close... Like, to have that much support from the community behind it. Uh, mm. Because here, here is what I was tired of happening. Having all those great matches for smaller promotions in Quebec that didn't have the resources to, like, release it or get it seen on IWTV or get millions of views on the internet where the match sort of just happened for a very appreciative live crowd of 100 people. And that's really cool, but mostly it feels like a waste to not, you know, have a platform where I can show highlights from the match, if not the match itself, or discuss the match and what happened and, you know, share it with people. So that's really what I wanted to get through uh, Twitch and YouTube and creating that whole online community. Exactly. And I think, I mean, if anyone hasn't uh, visited Mike's uh, Twitch channel, it's a, a very tight knit community. It must be said, obviously, watching a lot of like uh, match recommendations and the occasional BattleBots uh, episode. <laughs> and I mean, if, if people haven't heard of uh, Bibi et Genevieve, uh, it's <laughs> excuse my, my French. That's perfect. Um, you nailed it. Uh, it, it's it's a sight to behold, I think, um, and the the impression is is also very good. But um, I mean, it obviously does seem to be a common theme that wrestlers obviously have their own Twitch channel and 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 have their blog. What do you think this having or having this avenue, I should say, allows you in terms of connecting with your community? How do you feel it? It's I guess the best foot forward with you to connect with uh, fans of Speedball Mike Bailey. Well, so. Um... I, I teach a lot of wrestling as well. Um, if you if you followed me, you you probably know that. But I've given like pro wrestling <laughs> seminars on the internet many times and all around the world in in Canada, uh, England, Spain, Germany, Singapore. Uh, and so one of the things that I preach very very hard when I teach wrestling is that you must never assume that anyone has ever seen you before. It's a mistake mm. to be like, they must know I do this because either people know you and they already have an opinion and their opinion is made. So, you know, it's mostly fine. But a majority of the people that you, you are creating an opinion is who you want to work for. So you kind of have to always introduce yourself. Mm. But being aware that there's also a, a community that follows my career and lets me know that they do sort of forces me to add another layer uh, to my matches, like the match with that I had with Ben Ortman that I referred to was a good example of that, where we wrestled in front of about 800 people in a very, very big venue in Montreal. And I want to say that 700 out of those 800 people probably did not know Ben at all and probably only knew me from maybe the last show they were at, but in, yeah. no, in no, no way follow my career or know who I am. But there's about 100 people that watch, know our story, are friends with either of us, or follow our Twitch and our, our, our career. So you can sort of have to, you know, play to both, which creates mm. a very interesting dynamic and presents a, a fun challenge when it comes to, to professional wrestling. Um, but it definitely is 
like it, it's it's more rewarding to wrestle for those hundred that follow you and see your growth and will notice the details. Mm. I think that was a, a very well uh, stated answer. And I guess obviously with the year ahead and what you'll be doing for Impact, where I guess do you plan to uh, to take Friday Night Speedball? Of course, you you said <laughs> it wasn't it. Uh, you know, you'd been filming it on days other than Friday. So it's obviously going to be a little bit different, but what do you have in store for, for I guess, night speedball in the future? Uh, so the, for the name, we've just used FNS, which stands for Friday Night Speedball. I'm trying not to use, like the last one was the FNS holiday special uh, because it happened on a Sunday. So I'm just trying not to, to not say Friday. I don't know. <laughs> I could, I could call it fight night speedball or something. Um, and just just uh, chalk it down to that. But uh, so the plan for Friday Night Speedball is to have it um, separate from me a little bit, I think. Uh, and of course, uh, first get it its own social media presence so that I don't have to be the one doing all the posting from my own my own Twitter because mm. <laughs> that gets to be a lot. Uh, that's sort of step <laughs> one. Um, and then with me, hopefully working for Impact and traveling and spending some time in the U.S. doing that uh, to give the people that are in Montreal that started Friday Night People uh, more leeway to do it on their own with me being there, possibly not physically, and still hosting via green screen myself and or Veda. Um, so that might be a thing that might happen. But also, I think the concept is fantastic of just having live wrestling on Twitch for the audience on Twitch because it's completely different than doing wrestling from a live audience. Mm. Um, so I think there's a lot more to be done with that concept. We figured out a nice way to keep it steady, but I would love to kind of take it on the road if that makes sense. Yeah, I think there's there's obviously room for expansion in in that regard, and I'd, I'd hopefully love to see something in a, in Australia. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But um, obviously, so, sorry to cut you off, but uh, saying in Australia, did you see the the one we did in Brazil, which was not quite Friday Night Speedball, but yes, a yes, similar concept. So yeah, so that was a lot of fun. I would love to do a lot more of that. Um, something I'm extremely passionate about having been to many of those places, uh, but watching wrestling scenes and wrestling communities grow, and Brazil is definitely fighting an uphill battle because, again, wrestling was there on TV a long time ago. They still have a community, but it's, it's, it's slowly growing. And so what I did is I basically just, via green screen, uh, hosted one of their shows that they broadcasted, and they just filmed it on a Zoom call and they did one match and then uh, Veda and I got to talk to some of the wrestlers post-match and get to know them a little bit. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. as part of... As, as, oh, sorry. <clears throat> Alongside with Friday Night Speedball is something I'd like to do a lot more of. Again, making the, the wrestling interactive and, and everyone, you know, that signs up to the broadcast, that joins the broadcast getting to have a, a conversation about the wrestling altogether and not just be you know, watching wrestling on your own. Because mm. I think that's a big part of the experience, that communal experience and getting to talk about the wrestling as it's happening is part of the fun. Exactly. And I think there's always room to maneuver in that market. So hopefully something can come about with that. But uh, Mike, of course, we are here on a, a, a games podcast. And uh, I guess in this second period of the show, what I normally like to ask my guests about is uh, their formative years in video gaming. Um, what would that look like for you? Is What were sort of the, the first memories uh, for you for, for video games? Is there a specific game or a console yes. uh, that you grew up with? Absolutely. Started with a good old NES. Uh, oh, yes. It took a long time before I owned one. I used to only play at my uh, grandparents' house. Um, and playing the first, the first Mario game, as well as co-op Bubble Bubble with my brother. Those were the first two games that I remember playing and really being into. Uh, so I have, a, I have an older brother who... I did wrestling with for uh, a few years, who no longer wrestles, however. But we used to play a lot of co-op games together. And he was, you know, he was my, my gaming partner for uh, 
until I was <laughs> a, a teenager. And so we did a lot of co-op games and, and loved those and played wrestling games together a lot eventually. But yeah, Bubble Bubble co-op and Super Mario were really the big ones. Yeah, Mario obviously, I, I guess, is is pretty synonymous with the uh, the NES at that point. It was such like a a classic game for. I mean, I'm probably a little bit younger uh, than that. Like my sort of first experience was the Nintendo 64, so I got wow uh, Super Mario 64. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, you're literally I'm a, a baby then. Yeah, I'm a '93 boy. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like Bubble Bobble is such an interesting one because like you'd see uh, those sorts of games a lot at like arcades as well, like the sort of uh, joystick and and sort of almost like six button um, setups for a lot of like arcades, like bowling alleys and stuff. Or at least it was here. Mm-hmm. Um, so to so to hear that that's like a big uh, sort of co op experience. Um, for you is is really cool and you're one of the sort of few people as well who sort of talked about having that sort of co-op experience a lot of the times um some of the guests on the show talk about you know playing by themselves or having like a game boy so that we're playing by you know on their on their own um was was the co-op experience or, or playing with your brother was that something that sort of filtered through into to games more in the future or is it something that sort of was more um i guess remotely or sort of stayed with your childhood it sort of stayed with my childhood in that i never got into online gaming uh Mm. so i love the co-op i hate the competitive aspect so i mentioned (laughs) right uh wrestling games and he and i played a ton of wrestling games and we would much prefer to be in tag teams together or just alternate playing rather than you know wrestle against each other which mm. uh, if you want to go if you want to go way deeper is is part of my personality as well and also why I love professional wrestling so much. Um, but yeah, I, I much prefer the co-op. I prefer you know teamwork, and that's what a lot of online games don't offer. And and that's why like the the killing someone in a game and then boasting about it and how people get mad and the way they react online is uh is bothers me a lot <laughs> yeah it's it's it bothers me a little bit too don't worry but um was was there ever sort of miscommunication did did uh did that sort of competitive edge or sort of uh you know that sort of co-op nature sort of fall apart sometimes were there fights with your brother over that sort of thing uh so there were constant fights with my brother and that's part of uh that was part of our life. I had I had two older brothers and one older sister. And when we were young, we would just fight all the time. So uh, fighting is how I learned to love, basically. And uh, that's what got me into professional wrestling eventually. <laughs> oh, excellent. A gateway. I like that. <laughs> Obviously. That's the, yeah, that's the joke, kind of. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, we just enjoyed enjoyed co-op games a lot. Mm, yeah, and I think uh, you you sort of mentioned there that the wrestling games that you sort of played was that something that I guess obviously moving from the the NES and sort of moving into the next generation was that something you played sort of as you got a little bit older? Uh, was Absolutely. that sort of that next so, period? So the uh, the first wrestling game we played was Warzone on the Ooh, yes. PlayStation One, which was not very good. No, <laughs> uh, but then there was. It didn't offer a lot of a lot of freedom, and there were only very very few things you could do in the actual game. But then we got uh, WF Attitude on the on the PlayStation, which that one, which is in retrospect a terrible game. It's clunky <laughs> and the mechanics are off, and the way to do moves like they had not figured out the move system, and you like you have to pr- press whole combinations of buttons, and it's just. Like difficult and super clunky, um, and like there's ways to like cheat by just finding one move that that's easier to press and then doing that over and over. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the game, yeah, the game definitely broken, uh, but definitely offered a lot of options. Like you could create a wrestler, and you could create a a whole you know the whole set, the arena, and do custom entrance songs and custom lighting in your entrances, and as so my brother and I started wrestling with each other uh, when we were seven. Basically saw wrestling on the TV for the first time when we were seven. Took the mattresses mm. off our beds and started wrestling on them. So 
playing wrestling games was basically a uh, an extension of that and we so one thing we never did is created ourselves as characters we would just create a bunch of different different characters that were in our roster and then just had those guys fight each other and people from the game but it was definitely an extension of our desire to become professional wrestlers which shockingly happened eventually yeah. Do you remember any of those uh, wrestlers that you created? So, uh, it's a struggle because they all had just some weird gimmicks, usually stemming from finding a move in the game and building a look around that move, or, oh, I want a guy with this finisher. Um, the one I can remember uh, from... The, the one character I can remember that's a lot, which was in Here Comes the Pain... Which is on yes. PlayStation 2. 2 or 3? 2. 2. Yeah. So I, I'm skipping a few years here, but his name was Skip. <laughs> and he had flat, long red hair and weird tights, but a very specific move set. Um, out of the fun character. So another great character that I can remember us was Dinosaur Dudley. Which was basically in SmackDown 1, you could put a dinosaur head on your character. So it was just an extra Dudley boy, but with a dinosaur head. Um, <laughs> good times. But yeah, no, so we never had any like character that, that followed throughout. We just like created and rotated a, a roster. Um, just of, looking of through all of the like weird apparel that there was and just like, yeah, we'll go with that. That should be good. <laughs> yes, and what was possible to, to create and really trying to push that. Because there's always like kind of move sets. As well as attire sets, but they're hidden, kind of. Usually mm. based of old Japanese wrestlers. And you would kind of find those and go like, oh, this top fits with this bottom and create it from there. I think that was always the magic with like the creator wrestlers in your PS1 and PS2 games. It's just like, there's not much sort of, I guess, scope to move with in terms of like facial features and, and all that sort of stuff. But it's like, yeah, if you, if you put like a weird top on him and like he wears a skirt and has like wears thongs to the ring or flip-flops and and it's just like you you find whatever you can just to sort of make it a little bit different which i think was always i guess the selling point for me at least for for a lot of the creator wrestler modes in in video games but that was always a good time yes um, uh yes and i remember so in smackdown one the first the first one on uh playstation uh, the first mm. SmackDown game that would then become SmackDown versus Raw when they, uh, so you had the SmackDown one was just basically the creator wrestler was just you had three you had head upper body and lower body and you would just choose from a list which was very lame and very limiting and for the move sets <laughs> you chose like he's a he's technical he's a power wrestler he's a high flyer he's a striker or something I don't remember I think one was called Roughneck but it didn't make any sense but regardless you kind of just picked a move set. And that was kind of lame. But then in SmackDown 2, they were back to the old WF Attitude system where you could just create like every single part and modify the colors and have different tops with different gloves. And then that was interesting again. Mm. That was always a, a blast. I think I spent almost probably too much time or more time with the creator wrestler than I did with the actual matches. But anyway. Yes, <laughs> then... so did I. <laughs> which is, which is weird because now... A part of wrestling that doesn't interest me so much is the, you know, the design and the character. Mm. I've like, I've, I'm not, I'm admitted, admittedly, I should be more focused on like creating attires and, and imagery for myself and thinking of, you know, uh, gimmicks and stuff. And I'm not, I'm very focused on the mechanics of pro wrestling and, you know, the, the direct quality of what I present in the ring and sort of that whole create a wrestler part of myself. I have pushed aside mm. and i mean you, you let your work do the talking and i can certainly respect that so <laughs> well I, I do except when i go on podcasts and just go on and on about create a wrestler but yeah <laughs> and of course recently um even on stream you were sort of talking about uh, looking for games to play while you were on uh, sort of long distance trips to the uk which you did a couple of times and i I'm, i know you you mentioned octopath traveler as a game um, that you were sort of interested in and sort of asking people, um, did you end up playing that sort of those sort of games pretty recently? Is that a sort of style of game that you were looking at, um, I guess, as you got older? So, yeah. So um, I sort of didn't play many video games at all for a long time. 
until I got a switch uh, okay. like a year and a half ago that I used specifically because I was flying back and forth uh, to Japan a lot, which those are very long flights. So mm. the switch was definitely a big help on those. Um, and recently flying to England, I, I wanted a game to play. And I played some Octopath Traveler, though admittedly I, I didn't finish it on the flights. Uh, I went back and forth to England twice in like a month. And so I played most of it on those flights, but I didn't finish it. And I honestly haven't touched it since I, <laughs> since I got home. Uh, but the game I remember playing before that, at the beginning of the pandemic, was uh, Tales. Tales of Vesperia, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is a pretty much JRPG. And I like I freaking loved it. I ate that game up. I played it constantly for like three days until I finished it. And then I did all the side quests and stuff, and I absolutely loved it. And it kind of... So I love JRPGs. That is, like, after wrestling games, that is by easily the thing I, I love the most. And I I'd played a bunch of other Switch games, but, I don't know, nothing gets me going. Nothing gets me into a video game and gives me momentum quite like a good old JRPG. So I thought Octopath would be a good uh, good choice for for flights. And it was... I'm just waiting to fly somewhere new so I can finish it. <laughs> I think that uh, leads us quite nicely into uh, the game you've chosen for us today, Mike. And uh, it is a, a classic. What have you chosen for us? So Final Fantasy VII, uh, because that was a big part of of my life. Jesus Christ. The, the amount of <laughs> hours that I played, that I spent on Final Fantasy VII. Once again, usually playing with my brother, we would either like co-op a game and just pass the controller back and forth and help each other do a lot of the grinding or another thing we would do often is we'd set a 30 minute timer on the oven because that <laughs> that's the only timer we had access to set a 30 minute timer on the oven and we just go back and forth and do 30 minutes 30 minutes 30 minutes with different games except when it was the when the the we did the Sephiroth backstory in Calm then you you'd be allowed to go through the whole thing and just finish that because that that would take more than 30 minutes <laughs> i mean obviously final fantasy 7 like one of the arguably the best games of, of all time and you know obviously has such a, a massive impact on, on a lot of people what was the sort of like first experiences that you had with it like was it something that was was this the sort of game that i guess got you into that sort of love for, for jrpgs uh 100 uh i think it was my sister was gifted a PlayStation for Christmas, maybe, uh, and just never played it. So my brother and I <laughs> ended up kind of taking over. And she got it with Final Fantasy VII. So, like, before wrestling games, that was the first game we played. And definitely... I So... I did not know... Like, I, I, I remember beginning to play the game and, and having like no understanding or reference for what was happening and like the whole turn-based fighting system was brand new uh every like didn't barely spoke english at the time so i would need to like i would need my father to come in and translate a lot of the dialogue okay. so that i could understand it um but yeah just just having the game for a long time and playing like doing everything so i don't know when the game came out but I must have been eight or nine and like getting the gold chocobo without the internet. Incredible. Like, I don't even know how that happens. <laughs> I, I, but I don't even know how that happens. I don't think I, I there's no way I would have the patience to do that today. But no. <laughs> I, I, like it's all I want to do. Same thing. Get the gold chocobo, the knights of master, the knights of the round. Uh, like the amount of grinding that takes is ridiculous and I can't believe I had the the time or patience to do that but I did I mean I I didn't have much else going on in my life as an 8-year-old then um also <laughs> Canadian winter is very harsh so when it's snowing outside and you don't have to much to do I so I clearly remember being off school for the Christmas break for 2 weeks and doing nothing but playing Final Fantasy Oof, that's a not a bad way to uh, to spend a, a couple of weeks. It <laughs> must be said. I mean, it, it's such an interesting game. Like I'm sort of the same. Where, like, I I love a good like action adventure game, but 
I'm, I'll be honest, like I'm one of the, the people who I guess struggles with a lot of like turn-based games and RPG games because I feel like it, it, it's almost a little bit too intense for me and then there's a lot of thinking to be done um, and those sort of like strategy style uh, options can be a little bit difficult. Like you've got to manage your HP and, and you know, grab potions and, and work on your, your mana and all that sort of stuff, especially for like the older sort of um, sort of Square games and Square Enix games that sort of came out around that sort of early, you know, uh, NES and, and PlayStation era. Um, it was always quite difficult for me because I found that that was just something I could never like wrap my head around. And I guess it sort of just translated to the sort of games that I played today. But I do definitely remember getting um, gifted a copy of the original Final Fantasy VII um, from a friend of mine in the US, Gerard Khalil, um, who's actually now uh, uh, working at G4, one of the big... Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, working with um, uh, Xavier Woods, um, who's, who's uh, signed on for, for G4 as well. So um, I, I doubt he's listening, but Gerard, thank you. Um, <laughs> I, ende I endeavor to uh, continue playing some more final fantasy but um yeah i mean what what sort of stood out for you like obviously final fantasy 7 is such a an insane story even even in terms of like a, a jrpg sort of standard but there's so much to to really sort of marvel over the story itself the the mechanics even some of the music is is fantastic and and really sort of you know it sticks in the mind of a lot of people today and, and it's so iconic what were some of the things that really sort of stood out for you Absolutely. Um, you're absolutely right about the music and the environment. Um, in retrospect, I feel the same way about Final Fantasy VII as I do about The Simpsons. Okay. Um, so I like. I think children should watch The Simpsons, especially the older episodes. Well, only the older episodes, to be honest. Um, yes, I agree. <laughs> because I think that even if you don't fully understand everything that's going on or why it's happening... I think the amount of passion and effort and attention to detail that was put behind it, I think that always comes through. And humans generally are able to absorb that even if they don't fully understand it. Mm, and I agree. The, like, the more you find out about Final Fantasy VII and all the effort that went behind the character development and the fighting system and all of it, the more, like, the more it, it comes clear that there's a lot behind the game. But... When I was a child, and I fully think that uh, the internet has completely ruined this experience for everyone, but as I was playing the game, I felt like I was discovering all those big secrets. And, like, uh, when, when Aerith dies, which, like, if you play a game now, you will fully have that spoiled before you buy it, and, like, there would be no oh, chance, yeah. <laughs> right? But that was a giant shock. One of my characters has died. This it was absolutely mind blowing and crazy, um, and like there's a lot of little uh, story Easter eggs and the whole story with Zach that then gets played out in Advent Children, which you kind of drop little crumbs of in the game. And every character has a complex backstory that you definitely don't find out doing only the main story. That you then have to go out and seek and like. It felt like I was discovering this new thing and doing de detective work. And also the <laughs> how open the fighting system was. And nowadays, you would just go and find out the best combinations of, of mm. you know, how to set up your material and the best armors and everything. But when I was like when I was playing it as a child, you would figure out this combination or you would realize that if you like level this up it's actually pretty pretty strong which now leads to like if, if there's a big hive mind working on how to you know crush the game it's easy to google and just become super overpowered real fast but when you don't know <laughs> these things and don't understand it it's super interesting to figure out slowly how to build and what to match and what to put together and how to defeat certain puzzles yeah, I, I think you sort of hit, hit the nail on the head in terms of not only the story being, uh, I guess, in today's sort of society, like you need to buy the game day one or else you're like, you're obviously going to, you know, miss out on, on something or have it spoiled immediately. Um, but also like games back in that day, like there was no YouTube, there was no, no, you know, there was no, well, there was barely game facts or, or sort of like yeah. the... The, the sort of step-by-step -step tutorials and walkthroughs that you would get. So it's like, 
you were on your own unless you somehow managed to find like a game shark or something that had like cheat codes or something in it but other than that like you were thrust into the wilderness with you know only your wits to to help you in a, in a game that big so it's like those sorts of achievements are i guess a little bit you know they go a little bit lower in that sort of standpoint like they're not as appreciated it's probably the best way to describe it but yeah it's definitely something to to work on i think for, for games now but yeah i mean the, the game itself like and it, it's one of those games as well where was was it i guess the multiple sort of discs as well like you would have maybe like three or four discs for the same game and you yes. have to put put them in one by one for for each sort of section of, of the game like that was such a foreign thing for me like as i said like i grew up with a, a nintendo 64 and they just had the big chunky gray <laughs> cartridges which was which was always a a, a fun thing but yeah, the, the idea of having to like take the game out while the, the system is still running and then put the the disc in was such a weird thing to me. I was like, shouldn't this, shouldn't this like, you know, <laughs> turn, break the game or break the system or something? And I was like, that's weird. I couldn't get over that. Yeah, it was a, it was a wild concept, but also like it was a long game. So it definitely felt like once you got to the end, it felt like a lot Whereas I think mm. like Super Mario sixty four didn't didn't take that much time once you got good at it. Like if you beat it once, you sort of could go through it in not that long. Like without without yes. doing a speed run, but just kind of. So Super Mario World is also a game that I played a lot, and I am I am very like I I'm very good at it. Um, not not like speed run levels or anything, of course, but like I'm at a point now where I can just you know play through the game without like without losing a life and just just finish it all um which because because I, I played it so many times and i'm at a point where i can just in a day finish it three four times just playing however something like final fantasy which i do replay quite often still uh seven eight ten i will replay every now and then uh okay. but it every time i do it takes a long time because it just takes a long time no matter what mm. And I mean, obviously, the the biggest sort of bombshell over the last couple of years was the the remake of Final Fantasy VII. Was that something that uh, piqued your interest? Of obviously having sort of such fond memories of the original was having such a you know a, a bold remaster or uh, or reimagining um, of the game. Was that something that was really exciting for you, or how did you feel about it? It absolutely was. Uh, super pumped when it came out. However. I do not have a console right now other than the Switch, so I can't play it. However, <laughs> I've avoided watching playthroughs, uh, hoping that I will play it someday. You've done quite well. Like it's <laughs> It's been out for well, a year and a half now, I think, so you've done fairly well. But I guess uh, the campaign to get Speedball Mike Bailey, a uh, at least a PS4 to play, uh, the remake it will have to go up fairly soon, <laughs> right? Um, it's a it. The game hasn't fully come out, right? They're they're releasing it in parts, I think. Yeah, so the first part is already out, and then they've basically uh, put that onto PS Five as well. So they're still doing, I guess, the next part of the game. But yeah, so they are sort of like sequentially releasing them, which I thought was weird, but I guess like. For a game of that size, I guess it totally makes sense. It is. It's so it's gigantic. The it's you huge, can't yeah. cut the story down to the length of a normal game. The last console I had was a PS3, and okay. So I I hadn't played video games for a long time, at least not uh, not console games. Um, I still have computer games that I play a lot of uh, emulators and stuff. Uh, Diablo 2 is a big game as well, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, <laughs> but when I when I opened up the PS3 and played it, I was I was shocked at how short some games were. Mm. Like even the the Grand Theft Autos that I was able to play relatively quickly, Uncharted that I enjoyed but took all of three hours to complete. Yeah, like I'm I'm a big Uncharted person myself, and. And even those sort of games, like especially the number four, which came out on the PS4, like you could get through the main game. Obviously, there's like collectibles and things like that, but it is definitely that sort of like movie style game. Like it's it's definitely 
done in that sort of fashion and yeah you yes. could get through it in maybe like 10 out 10 15 hours or so at, at maximum like that's that's probably generous and I think Naughty Dog sort of did that with The Last of Us as well, which is also one of my favorites. But yeah, like especially games nowadays do tend to be a, a little bit more on the, like there's there's either, you know, like two or three hours for a, a game or it's like 60, 70. Like there's mm-hmm. nothing in between in that sort of middle ground, which is a little bit frustrating for someone like me who just wants to pop something in and, and sort of, you know, immerse myself, but not spend every waking moment of my life trying to, completed game but um yeah i I guess that's uh as you said a story for another day so what is uh, your what is your favorite uh game going right now what is your favorite kind of game as well you know i've never actually been asked this on the podcast so you're the first person (laughs) (laughs) i I mean it's interesting yeah i'm interested it's interesting because like I'm I'm really enjoying a couple of different games at the moment halo infinite is is a big one that i've been playing i've never really been a like a massive halo fan like i've i've played them casually but but never really sort of taken a massive interest in the story so being able to jump in i guess half blind in that regard to sort of play that has been fun um psychonauts 2 is a big one as well like it's a i guess the uh, the sequel for a an indie game that came out or would have been sort of about 17 18 years now um and it's it's a lot of fun like it's very sort of wacky and and a little bit bizarre but I think having that sort of variation is always good. Um, and, and I think the storytelling in a lot of the games that I'm playing now is actually really sort of um, high quality. So I think mm-hmm. having those those sorts of games to, I guess, immerse myself is something that I really enjoy. And that was sort of why I enjoyed uh, the Uncharted games and, and the Last of Us games. Like, because you're basically, like, you, you do tend to have those sorts of, like, movie games where they're, that you're sort of, like, almost watching that sort of thing but you're basically playing like a, a a fully fledged movie and and that sort of style of game obviously now that they're they're bringing out an uncharted movie and doing a last oh, wow. Us, uh hbo show so like they're they're basically sort of saying like these these games are basically movie quality but they're obviously adapting it so having those sorts of games being able to you know, sit in and immerse myself and, and get lost in a story i think is is really important for me mm-hmm. um and then I'm always like, you know, play some like NBA or FIFA or wrestling or something just on the on the side just to sort of um, counteract that, I guess. So that's always good fun. But uh, I, I guess to wrap up, um, obviously, the, the, the key aspect of the podcast, um, Mike, is I normally obviously get the guests to pick a game, but I normally get them to pick a game because it's because of its importance or significance to either their their current work or their personal life and yeah. for you how does final fantasy 7 um take quite an influence for you how is it important for you either in that sort of personal aspect or your um your current work so um it's kind of hard to translate directly uh but i am a pro wrestler and a big part of pro wrestling is character development and how you portray it, as well as, uh, I mean, this is mostly a gaming con- uh, podcast, so I'll assume people are not too familiar with professional wrestling, but when I do a professional wrestling match, I am basically telling a story. I am creating a usually, you know, 10 to 20 minute fight scene that will then play out in the ring. And when I map out that fight scene, how I will play it, I have to sort of think in advance what feeling do i want the audience to take away from this and i think a game like final fantasy 7 did a great job telling a story with the fights Mm. if you think of that final boss that final um that final fight with with sephiroth and all the phases and how you sort of fighting it fight him at first as this weird inhumane godlike creature that is pure evil and just looks like a a tortured mess and then you defeat that and then he becomes sort of half human half god in the uh one-winged angel um and then when you do beat him you see him fully humanized in his last human fourth form sorry weak but still fighting and then deal that one final blow or you know many final blows Omni Snatch. Mm. I think the story that that <laughs> fight tells 
is is super important and what makes the game so good um and even smaller fights during the during the, the game sort of tell those stories as well but i think that is very much that is professional wrestling telling a story mm. through one battle through one fight and being able to capture that feeling and understanding that and then translating that to to professional wrestling is something that was is like very ingrained in me and i'm glad i i have a platform on which to concretely apply that even though i'm sure all that sounds extremely vague uh but that is <laughs> professional wrestling in a nutshell also my finisher in professional wrestling is a um shooting star double knee a shooting star is when you start on the top rope and then do sort of a backflip but traveling forwards and i land with my my knees on the guy uh which i call Oof. the ultimate weapon <laughs> okay I guess uh, I guess Kenny Omega isn't the only person to take uh, reference from Final Fantasy for his finishing move. So there's something to, uh, to connect yourself with. <laughs> well, the ultimate weapon is, is classically used to kill the one-winged angel. So that's kind of the the long-term the long-term storytelling I've played in my own head here. <laughs> I see what you've done there. Excellent right? work. <laughs> we shall see. Exactly, but uh, Mike, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, bringing you on for the podcast today. Um, of course, we've referenced your YouTube and your Twitch channels. Uh, how can people find you on those channels? I'm uh, at Speedball Bailey on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is where I sort of, it's the main hub where I post all my things. Uh, if not, twitch.tv slash Speedball Bailey. YouTube.com uh, channel Speedball Mike Bailey, where I post all my vlogs and stuff where you can get to watch a lot of match highlights as well as get to know me better and, and sort of follow me on my journey. Um, if you don't know pro wrestling, uh, or if you do and just haven't seen any of my matches, the main thing you can do is just go on YouTube, look up Speedball Mike Bailey, watch some of the matches, let me know if you enjoy them, let me know which ones you enjoyed, if you did, and uh, discover some professional wrestling. Excellent. Uh, I couldn't agree more. As always, uh, never a better time to enjoy some professional wrestling. And uh, of course, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to follow what we're doing here at One Perfect Game, you can always do so on Twitter with uh, the account at OPGpod. But that is it for another episode of One Perfect Game from myself, Matt Tilby, and my very special guest, Speedball Mike Bailey. It is goodbye for now. Take care.